As they understand the biology and that there is this dysregulation that's taking place and that their bodies are really smart and they're not letting them starve, it reframes the story. It reframes the story that it's not that there's something wrong, right? It's that their body is doing this to make sure that they don't starve. That was Dr. Anya Yostropov, a leading obesity medicine physician who's internationally recognized as an educator and researcher. Dr. Yastrboff is board certified in obesity medicine, adult endocrinology and metabolism, and pediatric endocrinology. And she specializes in sophisticated use of anti-obesity medication combinations. You're listening to Weight Matters, where we unpack the science behind our weight, why it matters, and the effects it has on our health, psychology, and society. This season, Join Drs. Louis Aroni and Katherine Saunders, leading experts in the field of obesity medicine and co-founders of IntelliHealth, as they tackle the many ways weight impacts our broader health, and along with experts in the field, explore innovative strategies for preventing and treating obesity. In this episode, Dr. Yastrboff discusses the important shift that happens when people start to view obesity as a chronic disease and treat it accordingly. She also shares some advancements that are shaping the future of the field and explains how she approaches treatment of children and adolescents. We're glad to have you along for this journey. There's a lot to discuss, so let's dive in. We are absolutely thrilled to welcome Dr. Anya Yastrobov as our final guest uh, for the finale episode of season one. Dr. Yastrobov, thank you so much for being with us. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Dr. Saunders. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Well, we've had a really terrific season and uh, this is clearly one of the, the best of them, Dr. Yastrobov. We started out talking about the past, present, and future of weight management. We then went into nutrition science. We talked about medical treatment of obesity and obesity bias. Next, we spoke about cancer and how body weight influences the risk of cancer. We talked about the predatory diet industry. Next, we went into the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity, and we talked about both sides of it, the pro and con. What's the impact of weight on orthopedic problems, diabetes, and uh, how obesity impacts that, and the new normal, uh, what happened in the COVID pandemic uh, and its relationship to weight. And today, we're thrilled to be speaking to you uh, on pediatrics and the causality. What What's causing obesity? You know, people are talking about it, like me, as a disease. I call obesity a disease. So I was wondering if you could help our listeners to understand why we call it a disease. Sure. That's a really, really great question, Dr. Roney. So a lot of us say obesity is a disease, and we've gotten used to saying that. Uh, But as you said, what does that really mean? And I think the important part here is that we not only say that obesity is a disease, but we treat obesity as we would any other chronic treatable disease. 
So there are many reasons why this is important. And one of the main ones is because this is the truth. This is what we should be doing. So in terms of thinking about obesity as a disease and the pathophysiology, what's actually happening? So whenever I speak with patients, I start out by saying, share your weight journey with me. Tell me your struggles. Tell me what's worked. Tell me what hasn't worked. Share your story with me, right? We as humans, we're storytellers. So I basically invite them to share their story with me. And as they're sharing their weight journey, they'll oftentimes share the shame, the blame, the struggles they've faced. And there'll be hints of, if not overt, expressions of how they're blaming themselves. And they think that this is a choice. They think this is a behavioral choice. And it's not. And so at that point, I swoop in, I take that opportunity, and I say, you know what? Your body is super smart. It created this amazing biology, this amazing biology that basically at all odds helps to prevent you from starving. And this amazing biology that's been created is also what is impacted by our obesogenic environment. So this biology whereby your fat and your gut and your pancreas and all these different things signal to your brain how much fat you should carry, that's incredibly affected by our environment, by the food we eat, by how much we move or don't move, by processed foods, by not sleeping, by increased stress, by medicines we give you. And all of those things push up how much fat your body wants to store. And why does your body want to store all that fat? Well, it wants to store all that fat because that's how it stores energy. And so basically, I go through this brief story of how our body defends against starvation and that that is a very good thing and that their body is very smart for doing so. But then I basically say, look, so you live in this environment that basically causes you to carry extra weight. And it's our job as providers. It's our job as physicians. It's our job to combat that pathophysiology, to help decrease that set point, to help decrease how much fat your body wants to carry and bring it back to a place that is metabolically or otherwise healthier. And once you kind of target the discussion to your patients about the fact that there is this complex biology, that obesity is a disease, and that it's our job to help them combat that disease with various treatments that takes the blame and the shame away from them, and they become open to working together to figure out how to treat their obesity. Anya, thank you for going through with us how you speak with patients so eloquently, so supportively, so empathetically, which is so necessary for the kind of medicine we practice where by the time people come to see us, they've tried and failed a million different strategies and they've encountered stigma, bias. There's so much, as you say, blame and shame. So really taking time to listen to our patients and to validate what they're saying is so important 
important for um, people to start off on the right foot and to trust us and to be willing to try something new with us. Going back to the idea that obesity is a disease, which is now recognized by many different medical societies, can you go into a little bit about the implications of, of treating obesity as a disease? How does that affect our approach to what you beautifully described as, you know, a really heterogeneous, complex, and chronic disease? How does this compare to other diseases? And what's your framework for treating this complex condition? So if we approach obesity as a disease, and we don't just say it's a disease, but treat it as such, we will and we should focus in on all of these different aspects that make any other chronic disease what it is. So the three main concepts, as you said, are that obesity is a disease that is heterogeneous, chronic, and complex. So if we look at each one of these separately, the first one, so obesity is heterogeneous. So what does that mean? So that means that if we give a patient a specific treatment, a therapy, whether it's a medicine or bariatric surgery, different individuals will lose different amounts of weight. Or another way of saying this is different individuals will have a different reset of their body fat mass set point. And one might say, well, why is that? Why doesn't everybody respond the same way to a given therapy? And the answer is that there's not one type of obesity. Uh, we just put it together all as one because what we're looking at is the end result, which is the fat mass or the adiposity, the amount of fat that somebody carries. But the cause of that obesity or the cause of that extra weight or extra adiposity is very different for each individual. And so just like with another chronic disease that's heterogeneous, for example, diabetes, there's not one type of diabetes. There's different types of diabetes. There's type 1, there's type 2 diabetes, there's MODI. So we don't expect the same treatment to work for every single patient in the same way. And the parallel to that is that for obesity, we shouldn't expect everyone to respond to a given therapy or to respond in the same way. So that's the concept of heterogeneity of obesity. In terms of obesity being complex, so this is an important concept because for no other disease do we think that there should be a magic pill, that there should be one thing that we can give to our patients and all of a sudden they're cured. Basically, as an example, when we have a patient who has diabetes, we start them on a medicine, let's say it's metformin, and then over time, we anticipate that we'll have to add a second medication or even a third medication. And for obesity, up till recently, the thought has been, well, you know, we just need one magic pill. We need something that can cure obesity. And why would we expect that? Obesity is a complex disease, just like any other disease. And so the idea is that we need more than one medicine. So we would start with one and then after a given period of time, we would add another and then potentially a third or a fourth. So we should anticipate that most of our patients will need combination pharmacotherapy for the treatment of obesity. They may even need bariatric surgery with a combination pharmacotherapy. So we can't expect that there'll be this one magical pill or shot that will cure our patients. And in fact, there 
is no cure for obesity. And that leads us to the last concept, which is that obesity is a chronic disease. So why is this important? So if we treat any other chronic disease, we anticipate that we'll have to treat that patient over a lifetime. So in the same way for obesity, just because somebody loses weight does not mean that their obesity is cured. It means their obesity is in remission. So just as we treat a patient who has hypertension and we give that patient a blood pressure medicine and their blood pressure improves, what happens when we take that blood pressure medicine away? One might say, well, why would you ever do that? Their blood pressure is better. Why would you stop the medicine that's helping them? But when we talk about obesity, whether it's patients or providers, they'll ask, well, the patient lost weight, so can't I just stop the medicine? And the answer is no, because we're not treating to weight loss, we're treating to resetting the set point. And so if we stop the medicine, that weight set point or how much fat our body wants to carry goes back up. So if we stop a medicine, then the weight gain recurs. So let me back up a little bit and talk about set point. So when we talk about the disease of obesity and this concept of set point, what does that mean? Well, our body has peripheral signals from our gut, from our fat cells, from all sorts of different uh, nutrient sensing cells. And it basically signals to our brain our energy state how much energy we're carrying, how much energy we're expending, and how much energy we may want to store. And those signals basically inform our brain and our brain sets this body fat mass set point. So the set point is set through metabolic mechanisms, meaning these signals, these hormonal signals that tell our brain how much fat to store and how much fat to carry and how much fat or how much weight the body wants to gain. And that's the body fat mass set point. That set point is defended by our brain, meaning that when we lose weight, our body and our brain does everything it can to gain that weight back. And why is that? It's because we don't want to starve. Our brain does not want us to starve. It wants us to survive. And so that's that defended body fat mass set point. So now backing up and talking about the medicines, the goal of using anti-obesity medications or any effective treatment for obesity is to reset that dysregulated fat mass set point. So instead of wanting to carry a certain amount of fuel, our brain now tells our body that we want to carry a different amount of fuel, hopefully a lower amount of fuel. And so when we take anti-obesity medications or give anti-obesity medications to our patients, we're in effect lowering that body fat mass set point and losing weight is a byproduct or a side effect, meaning that our weight wants to return down to this lower body fat mass set point. As you know, I'm a big believer in this. And uh, I've often said that Darwin got it wrong. It's actually survival of the fattest, not survival of the fittest. So that having more fat is a great thing if you uh, live in the wild or if you lived anywhere in the United States up to you know, 100 years ago, it was very difficult to get food. And you know maybe it still is in certain places, but in most places, there's so much food available. It's so inexpensive 
that it basically the food itself wrecks the weight regulating system. It, it overloads it, if you will, and that's what leads to this chronic increase in, in the weight set point, which the body then defends. It thinks that it's, it's helping you to uh, prevent starvation in the future. Exactly. And I'll just say that it's really important for us to explain or discuss this with our patients and with other providers, but especially with our patients, because as they understand the biology and that there is this dysregulation that's taking place and that their bodies are really smart and they're not letting them starve, um, it reframes the story. It reframes the story that it's not that there's something wrong, right? Patients think that there's something wrong. It's that their body is doing this to make sure that they don't starve. So if we can explain to our patients and to our colleagues that obesity results from this inappropriate regulation of fat mass, then re-regulation of that physiology or that set point or that elevated fat mass, that's essential for treatment of obesity. So we're not treating necessarily to weight loss, we're treating to reset the set point. And then a byproduct of that is that we lose weight. And then additionally, what this does is that it really takes the blame away from our patients as it should and opens their mind up to the idea and the fact that this is not their fault, that having obesity is not their choice and having obesity is not their fault. Agree completely. I mean, I've been saying this for years, and yes. not everybody agreed with me for a long time. But now uh, it's so great to hear you say that. You know, since we've adopted this chronic disease model of obesity, we've finally have begun to make progress in treating it. Yeah. You know, before that, what, what we were doing the same thing, but different ways: low carb, low fat. You know, some people respond, but most people don't. And the kinds of programs that we have now, the combining dietary intervention with medication, our online programs, we've been doing a tremendous amount of telehealth, as I know you have over the past two years. We're getting people to lose weight in a way we never have before. And if we were still stuck in the old treatment paradigm, we wouldn't be getting anywhere, in my opinion. Um, you know, we might get a third of people or so to lose 5% or more of their body weight. But now we're getting far more than that. We're, we're doubling that or getting even better results by combining medications, some of which are approved by the FDA, others aren't, along with a behavioral program. So I, I feel like we're on the verge of really beginning to turn the tide on the epidemic of obesity. And one of the key things we've been working on is developing new tools in order to allow physicians, nurse practitioners, and others to manage obesity. Exactly. I absolutely agree 100%. And one of the examples that sometimes I give to my patients in terms of using other strategies, for example, caloric restriction. So a lot of our patients, they think it's their job to make sure that they're eating less, right? It's not always eating healthier or eating differently. It's, it's just to eat less. And we know that caloric restriction long-term 
does not help because eventually you eat, right? And so we know caloric restriction does not reset the body fat mass set point. And so asking someone to basically eat less, to calorically restrict indefinitely, is like asking someone to hold their breath indefinitely. And eventually biology takes over and you have to take a breath. And in the same way, eventually all of those signals to your brain, biology takes over and you have to take a bite. And so we know caloric restriction does not work to reset the set point. And that's why it's so important to have all of these other treatment strategies that we now have to treat obesity. Dr. Yastabroff, I love the conversation that we've been having about how to speak with patients and how to approach different kinds of patients, given that everyone has had such different weight histories and such different experiences relating to weight. Since Dr. Oni and I don't have as much experience in pediatrics as you do, we'd love to hear about how it works to involve patients in your care plan. So basically, when I see a patient or an adolescent who uh, has obesity, they, of course, come with their parent or their parents or caregivers. And it's interesting because it's really important to kind of gauge at the start where the impetus came from to come to see me. And a lot of the time, it's a little bit specialized because most of the patients I see, they know that I'm the doctor who has the, you know, who has the knowledge and the ability to prescribe anti-obesity medications, whether they're my adult patients or my adolescent patients. But even within that setting, sometimes the adolescent is ready. They're ready to take the next step, whereas the parent may be more hesitant. Other times it's the parent who has brought their adolescent in to see me and the adolescent is like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and they're not necessarily interested at that point in engaging in talking about obesity and in talking about their health and how carrying extra weight may be impacting their health. So I basically start out by gauging where things are. And then as we discuss treatment, the treatment is really aimed for the whole family. So it's not treating the adolescent in isolation, but treating the adolescent within the context of the family. And interestingly enough, what ends up happening is sometimes we'll get farther along and the adolescent is receiving treatment and they're losing weight and their health is improving. And then the parent will ask to come see me in clinic as well. And so I end up having these multi-generational type visits or multi-generational scenarios where I'm taking care of multiple family members. And I think ultimately that is how we should be treating obesity, right? When a person loses weight, that impacts the whole family dynamic, whether it's the a dynamic with a spouse or it's a dynamic with a parent or with a child, it really affects the whole family. So I think Again, obesity is unique. It's like other chronic diseases, but it's unique. And that's one of the unique aspects. There's nobody, nobody in the United States or in the world who is not impacted by obesity, whether it's they themselves or a family member or a loved one or anybody. Again, it's, it's half of us, at least in the United States. And the other aspect of it is that obesity is unique because it's something that is externally seen. 
And the reason why I raise that is because let's say that you're getting treatment for high blood pressure or for diabetes. You don't have to share that with people. People don't know when your blood sugars are well controlled versus not, or your blood pressure is at goal versus not at goal. But with obesity treatment, it's very external. And again, that's why often patients reflect that they think it's their failure when they're not succeeding, when it's really the medicine or the therapy that failed them. And our job is to basically approach patients and let them know that we will persist, that we will look for therapies that help them, that we will continue to treat them like we would continue to treat a patient with any other chronic disease, that we're going to help find the answers for them. And through all that, we're going to do that in an incredibly compassionate and empathetic way and basically guide them through their weight loss journey or through their weight journey. I love the way you described that, Anya. We have so many patients who either come initially with family members or do well and then bring their friends, their family members, their coworkers. And having that support system in that community is so incredibly helpful because then on the other hand, we have patients, you know, a a wife whose husband has never struggled with his weight and can eat whatever he wants and has junk food in the house and won't change that and, and just makes it so much harder for the patient. So we absolutely see it both ways and having, you know, a support system and other members of the household on board is just so incredibly helpful for our patients. It is. And then they do it together. Mm-hmm. They, they're all in it together and they're a team. And our goal and what we strive for is that there is this unified team and this unified goal. I think it's critical to set that up at the start in the same way that when a patient comes to see us for the first time, one of the most important things that we can do is create an environment that is comfortable and safe, that they know that they will not be judged. They know they'll be supported and guided and they know that there's absolutely no place for blame or shame. And within the context of creating this environment, that's when people open up. That's when people get on board with doing this together as a team. And that's when they take an an active role and, and they become interested in all these different therapies that we can provide to them. We've been talking a bit about the effect of the COVID pandemic on our field. And, you know, two of of the good things, or if there can be any good things that have come out of the pandemic, are really, you know, the focus on obesity as something that that urgently needs to be addressed because obesity is associated with more severe cases of COVID and, you know, more morbidity and mortality from COVID. Um, but the other one is, is what we touched on before, the idea of, you know, telemedicine before the pandemic. So many providers were really reluctant to do telemedicine. There were so many reasons why, you know, we didn't think that this type of medicine would be up to par, but we, you know, dramatically adjusted our thoughts about telemedicine really overnight when the pandemic happened. And now for the field of obesity medicine, it's just been absolutely transformative. And obesity medicine is really one of the best suited fields for telemedicine. Dr. Yastrobaf, can you talk a little bit about you know, how the practice of obesity medicine is changing, not just because of the pandemic and and more telemedicine, but what do you see coming in the pipeline? Where do you feel this field of medicine is going? What are you excited about that's coming for obesity medicine? 
I think that we are going to talk about the medications that are down the pipeline. But in addition to that, it's what you're speaking about in terms of how COVID has transformed the way that we deliver our care to patients, the way we deliver our care to patients who have obesity now virtually. So in terms of telemedicine, it is very well suited to the care of patients with obesity. You can see a patient initially in person, assess them, make sure that they are medically otherwise doing well, check labs and do a physical exam and assess them. And as you start medications, oftentimes it's extremely helpful to have check-ins, to see how they're doing, to assess side effects and make sure that they're on track and, and they're doing okay with the therapies that you initiate. And what telemedicine or virtual types of care have provided to us is the ability to do those check-ins and the ability to monitor their progress through various technology-based platforms. So one positive thing that has come out of the COVID pandemic is the way that we now deliver care for our patients with obesity using telemedicine. And I do know that there are, you know, other tools that are being created for that as well. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a number of approaches that are, are working. As you know, we've been working on something for a number of years that we think is uh, got all the tools you need to manage patients. And um, we've studied it in its preliminary form. We've studied it up at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and we're now going to be doing an implementation project there, which we're very excited about because we think this is on the road to having this type of program, or you know, we have an app, but we think that making this available to physicians and other healthcare providers, it will transform healthcare by making treatment of obesity readily accessible to them. So instead of waiting until people develop the diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, or the hundreds of other illnesses that we associate with obesity, they'll start treating it right away because they have the tools in their hands. I think that all of these tools that are being developed are amazing and they have the potential for really transforming the way that we are able to care for our patients with obesity. And the difference with obesity as compared to other chronic diseases is that obesity affects so many individuals. By 2030, half of Americans, so 50% of Americans will have a BMI of greater than 30. And so it's critical to create these types of tools and platforms because how are we going to be able to support half of the patients or half of the individuals in the United States? How are we going to be able to provide care to so many people who need that type of care? And so I think when it comes to obesity, we have to think creatively and we have to design these types of tools in order to support basically more than half of our population. It's a great point. At this point, I'd love to shift gears for a minute to talk a little bit about pediatrics before we talk about the future, just to kind of highlight where we are right now, not just with adults, but with kids and um, really highlight the urgency of treating obesity. Since you treat both adults and kids, Dr. Yastroboff, can you give us the latest in terms of what's happening with trends in pediatric obesity? What's the latest in the field? What's going on? In, in the pediatric world? 
Sure. So unfortunately, one in five adolescents have obesity in the United States. And we know that if you develop obesity at a younger age, whether that's in childhood or adolescence, you have a much higher chance of having obesity in adulthood. It's extremely high and it's very worrisome. And we know that obesity is a disease that affects us across the lifespan. It's one of the reasons why when I pursued training, I pursued training in both pediatric and adult care. And I think in terms of of obesity in pediatrics, the COVID pandemic has especially had a significant impact on children. Uh, initially, obviously, when, when we were all locked down and we didn't know what was going on and the impact that the virus would have, children weren't going out to play. They weren't moving. They weren't doing the things that we encourage them to do. And it's had a disproportionate impact on children and especially children with obesity. In terms of focusing care in the pediatric or adolescent population, I think it's a really unique opportunity because there's the question at some point, our set point changes, that body fat mass set point changes. And what if we target that set point earlier on? We target that elevated or dysregulated fat mass set point prior to puberty or during puberty or shortly after puberty when there hasn't been the situation where you have years of carrying excess adiposity. Do we have more of an opportunity to actually impact long-term the development of obesity or the continued impacts of obesity. The other aspect of pediatric obesity and adolescent obesity is that we're seeing more and more diseases that used to be only associated with adulthood. So for example, type 2 diabetes. It used to be that that was a disease that occurred in adulthood, not in childhood, whereas type 1 diabetes was more likely to occur in childhood. And now what we're seeing is that type 2 diabetes and other metabolic diseases are occurring much earlier due to the increased prevalence of obesity in that population. Recently, there was a study published. It was the outcome of the Today study. And it's really tragic in terms of the outcomes in these children who are now in their early 20s and they're experiencing cardiovascular effects, kidney effects. Again, the types of things that we would not usually see in children we're seeing now in these young adults, not 50-year-olds, but individuals who are in their 20s. Um, so extremely powerful story, and I think yet another reason why we need to intervene early. So in terms of the treatments that are available to children, obviously, we have bariatric surgery for both children and adolescents, depending on the center. But now, of course, the push is also for some of these new medications that are coming out for adults that are either just recently FDA approved or submitted for FDA approval. The encouragement is to have those medications investigated in adolescents and then eventually in children and to not delay the opportunity for helping to treat children and adolescents with obesity. So basically to investigate, test them for safety and efficacy in these younger populations so that we can intervene early before obesity sets in into adulthood. I think that really, it makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, there's been a tremendous amount of resistance to treating children more aggressively rather than trying to prevent it from getting worse. 
but we can talk about that another time, is the way the children are being treated medically. And it's, it's kind of a double standard you know, where everyone's saying we've got to do more, but nobody's doing anything. Looking into the future, now that we have more effective treatments and we have you know, medications that are associated with more weight loss than we could have ever imagined, how do we actually expand access to this treatment and, and what will work to normalize people actually coming to get treatment? Dr. Saunders, that is an excellent question, and I think one that is on a lot of our minds. And access to care and access to sophisticated care is really critical. None of us learned any of this in medical school. None of us even learned any of this in residency. And fellowships for obesity medicine are new. The first one was established in 2007 at Harvard. And since then, we've grown those fellowship programs, and now there are over 20 nationwide. But education for healthcare providers is one of the keys to overcoming the barrier of access in terms of providers not knowing how to use the tools that we have now for treating patients with obesity. I think all of us try and help with this effort. So whether it is teaching at various national and international courses, uh, specifically on obesity treatment, all of us on this podcast do that very actively and eagerly and enthusiastically. Additionally, the American Board of Obesity Medicine was established about a decade ago, and Dr. Roney was instrumental in that process as well. And one of their efforts is to create more of these uh, fellowships to be able to help educate more providers in terms of how to care for patients with obesity. And I think once we create more providers, it will be a process whereby those providers will, will teach other providers. Another barrier is access to care in terms of the cost of these medications. So a lot of us are testifying on a local level or on a national level to try and get insurance coverage for these various treatments of obesity, whether that be anti-obesity medications or bariatric surgery. And that will also help in terms of access because, of course, if insurance does not cover medications, then it's extremely difficult to have access to them and it's not possible to pay for these long term. So additionally, the expansion of telehealth and tools that our patients can use remotely has also been very helpful in terms of obesity care. And I think it will continue to play a critical role in terms of caring for our patients with obesity. And again, not everybody lives close to a city or close to a place that has a weight management center or comprehensive multidisciplinary center. In fact, most of our patients don't live in places like that. So I think virtual methods or telehealth methods, remote methods help our patients who don't usually have access to have access to those types of treatments and individuals who may specialize in caring for patients with obesity. And I'll also add that as we're embarking on education and as we're embarking on training providers to be obesity medicine physicians or obesity medicine specialists, it's also important to remember that a majority of obesity care 
is actually going to come from primary care. So in the same way that a majority of individuals who receive care for their diabetes don't necessarily see an endocrinologist or a diabetologist, the front lines of care for those patients are primary care providers. And so we really need to focus our efforts on helping primary care providers as they begin to treat patients specifically for their obesity and then refer to obesity medicine experts or endocrinologists or others who have additional training in obesity medicine. Dr. Yastrobaf, we completely agree, and this is one of the reasons why we are working so hard at IntelliHealth to develop all of the functionality that we have in our software platform Evolve, because there aren't enough obesity medicine specialists like us. So it has to be primary care doctors and other specialists who take on some of the obesity treatment. So in order to make it as easy for them as possible, that's why we've utilized connected devices, um, the ability to collect data in many different ways, personalized treatment plans, medication decision support, so that people can go to their primary care doctor and, as you said, at least get started and use maybe more simple ways of treating obesity to get started. And then if that's not enough, refer to an obesity medicine specialist, but at least to, you know, scale and democratize access to this kind of obesity treatment that unfortunately is not being taught in medical training fast enough. We need to use technology in order to expand to primary care and other specialties. So it'll be exciting in the next few years as we develop and other telehealth companies develop to be able to really expand access to this type of care. Yeah, I absolutely agree in terms of creating all of these extra and supportive and amazing tools. For primary care, if you think about it, they are the front line. They are the front line and they are going to be taking care of a majority of patients with obesity. And again, that's the way that it is for a majority of chronic diseases. And so if we can empower those providers, both with the education and the knowledge, but also the tools to help them do what they do best, then that is going to be critical in our fight against obesity. Thank you so much, Dr. Yastrobaf, for being with us today for the season finale. We really appreciate the eloquent way that you explain the pathophysiology of obesity and you know how we speak with our patients about it and how we treat it and what we have to expect uh, in the future. We would love to have you back sometime. And thank you again for being with us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Dr. Saunders and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning in this season. Thank you for listening to Weight Matters. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about how Dr. Saunders and Dr. Aroni are working to transform specialized treatments for chronic conditions through the best in medical science and advanced technologies, visit IntelliHealth.co backslash podcast. And be sure to follow, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to podcasts.